Hey, buddies. Concert buddy. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Vinyl Community Podcasts. This particular show is called Surface Noise. And if you're a record collector, you undoubtedly know what Surface Noise is. But despite this cheesy title for a show, <laughs> we're going to actually cover a lot of things that you actually want to hear when it comes to record collecting. In this particular episode, we're going to touch on a couple topics. The first of which is what bands or artists that have a long and robust series of releases have never done a greatest hits comp, and who should? And the other one we're going to touch on is record shows slash record fairs and best practices we employ when looking for black gold in those environments. Let's get into it. And you thought vinyl left. You're listening to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. Everything vinyl. Thanks again, buddies. We are back with another rendition of what I'm calling, hopefully, it's not too corny, surface noise, you know, branding, hashtag branding, at least good familiarity. To this presentation, we've got a lot of the same players back. First of all, we've got my man Arnaldo Fidelios underscore frequency joining us. Good to see you, Arnaldo. Hey, everybody. We've got Jason Rojas, uh, in parentheses, VC Nachos. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd he go? I think he went, he went to the nacho bar, of course. It's so good to see you, Jason. Jose, back for round two. I'm glad you came back, Jose. I'm glad we didn't give you enough trouble last time. Jose Moreno. <laughs> glad to be here. Awesome. And then Scott Wilson, who I don't know. I think we were – I don't know if we put the last one you were on on the podcast, but you've been on one of these before. I think it was your baptism by fire. So I'm glad it we was. away. Awesome. So Scott, yeah. Scott, Scott Wilson's channel is The Pressing Matters, if you want to go check them out. But anyway, thank you guys for joining me. I think we'll have a lively conversation like we did last time. And of course, everyone watching <laughs> Peanut Gallery, I don't even know. I don't I don't even know if there's another term to describe the folks who watch these things. So we'll just stick with Peanut Gallery. So thank you all for joining us. What I'd like to kind of kick it off with is um, I went to a concert last night, and I'll kind of get into who I saw and all that sort of thing. But while I was watching the performance, it, it struck me that this band I really enjoy doesn't have like a compilation. They have like a ton of albums, indie band. And it made me wonder like, why do, and I know it's contractual. We can kind of talk about that, but why do some bands put effort or at least put out a greatest hits compilation and some don't. So let's just kind of kick it off there. And Arnaldo, we're going to lean in on you since you are close to the ground oh and yeah, no pressure, but. Oh. I have a, I have an opinion, but let's hear from you first. What what is the thought process as far as you understand it with greatest hits compilations from business lens? Well, like you said, or, uh, originally it's con it's contractual. Uh, typically, contracts don't provide for may or may not provide for a um, a, uh, a greatest hits or some type of compilation package. They're usually added on afterwards um, because artists always try to probably negotiate. A different type of rate structure because all the hits are going to be on that album but um i don't know i think there are some cases like for example prince had exclusively clause in his um clauses in his uh initial agreements for example where uh no greatest hits could ever be made and as a matter of fact the two greatest hits that came out were kind of like a settlement uh for, for with warner brothers to free himself from his obligations to Warner Brothers. So that was kind of like a compromise that he did um, at the time. 
But overall, um, there is obviously some kind of interest in every label to want to gather the the uh, the hits uh, of an artist at some point and throw on an extra track just to make it even more attractive. And that one or two tracks that makes it usually attractive for even fans that have followed that artist for the longest time just to get those two tracks. They will go out and buy the greatest hits as well. So. Makes sense. Yeah, that's the way I've always I, I know it's not 100 percent that case, but usually my understanding has been it's a contractual lever. Either it's required or a band wants to get out of their contract so that maybe they've got some songs lying around and they want to put out that last album to then, you know, use the escape clause to then renegotiate terms. So good to hear it from the, the professional lens. Awesome. Um, all right. So all that said. Got me thinking, what's a band, and we'll go around the horn here, what's a band or artist that you're, I guess, kind of overdue or surprised that they've never gone down this route? Like, if you think about they've got a large body of work, they've got some really great hits, is an easy way to kind of what you're talking about, Ronaldo, is like potentially a cash cow, especially if you're trying to indict people who aren't going into the deep catalog, so... Scott, we'll start with you since since uh, you weren't with us last week. We're gonna we're gonna give you the new guy treatment. All right. Oh what, man. What, what comes to mind when I ask that question about like an artist or a band that you would you think is long overdue or, or you're surprised that they they haven't done a, a great assist count? Mm, I'm afraid I can't answer that. Oh no. And the reason is I am. Um, more tuned into the albums as they are presented originally. And very rarely do I go for a greatest hits comp. I can't think of anything at the moment. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. And and it's it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, personally, if I'm buying music on vinyl, which obviously we all do, I'm I'm actually, I'm not generally inclined to buy compilation albums unless it's something that's like a soundtrack or something that maybe is a deep cut or something like that. So, so I can appreciate like start to finish looking at an album's interpretation as, you know, complete work as opposed to, you know, picking the piece of the Jose, I saw you done Jose. What, what, same question. What's that? What's an artist that you feel is overdue for like a greatest hits compilation? Look, I'll say this. I, I can't, think of a band that like I, I can think of a couple i guess but that doesn't have a greatest hits already it's it's always like even the prog bands like gong has a a, a copulation talking heads heads has like a copulation as well that i've always missed when i see that on vinyl but i guess i have a weird relationship with uh greatest hits i guess there are some artists that I just haven't got the appreciation to listen to the whole record and uh, some, you know, and it's not because they're bad or anything. It's just as a record, it doesn't, you know, do it for me. For example, like James Taylor, for me, the best of James Taylor that it's even getting a, a one step in a few months or whenever in nine years, who knows <laughs> it's uh, that's going to come out as a one step because it's pretty popular. And to be honest, James Taylor as a whole record, sometimes it does it. And a lot of times, at least to me, it doesn't. So I guess thinking about it, um, there's a lot of bands that also overdo it. For example, I 
really don't like Black Sabbath doing best of because 99% of Black Sabbath best of it's only uh, Aussie era, mm. like a CD the uh, of Dio era, but most of it it's just the same Aussie songs. I mean, I'm wearing a Black uh, Black Sabbath T-shirt by the way. But what a hypocrite, right? But uh, <laughs> I really, really wish that they could put out a greatest hits, like Black Side put in greatest hits, and actually take every single singer that they had, Aussie, Bill, uh, Glenn Hughes, uh, uh, Tony Martin, just just have every, Ian Gillen, everyone, just having there. But I guess if I had to put one band that, that I wish it had one, They sort of do, but not at the same time. I guess it's King Gizzard. I'm a big King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard fan. I have this notion that 99% of the people within the VC and outside just collecting records fear when they know a band, the residents or, or whoever, they have a lot of records and they, and they overthink it a lot, like what I'm going to listen to and especially a band like King Gizzard that really have a consistency of being inconsistent with the music genres that they play. So I guess if I could have it my way, I, I guess a compilation by King Gizzard wouldn't be that bad. Because every single song will sound like a new band or a new something. Yeah, I guess. I guess it could be like a, a, a four LP set, right? But... I do think that they could do something nice with it. They have everything from spoken music, like spoken uh, word Western music, the Westerns, uh, like Spaghetti Westerns. They have like a, also like a spoken wordish thing on like H.P. Lovecraft. They have metal uh, related um, albums, jazzy albums, garage folk music they've done a little bit of everything and they are going to release a new uh, like electronic music record so a little bit of everything but uh i i guess my idea with uh copulation is that they're either good or they give a little bit of a bad view or or like um like you can't really see a, a an artist's full potential on a greatest hit sure You can't fit everything, of course, but also it's weird, especially with bands that don't really have hits, for example, Gong or, or I guess, uh, King Gizzard have a little bit, but or like uh, the residents, it's hard to pick out what somebody else might like, you know what I mean? Of course, sure. Arnold, before we get to Jason, Arnold, I saw you raise your finger up. Did you want to interject here? Yes, let's rewind back to Black Sabbath. Okay. Your desire and having more than one singer, like eras with all the different singers on one compilation yes. would be a Impossible. probably label nightmare because of all the different participants um, that are um, on a specific track. And I'm, I'm not very well versed on Black Sabbath, but were they always all on, on the same label? Um. I'm I'm thinking like for example this is uh, I'm holding a copy of uh, Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi yeah that sounds weird but this is Seven Star and uh, this is actually on Warner which was the label Black Sabbath put most of his stuff out but I IRS what's the name of that label was on yeah they had it on another label and this 
This is on Vertigo. This is Born Again. So, yeah, they have mixed bag of records. I guess they could do it. But, for example, the Dio records are Warner. And then the, the Glenn Hughes one is uh, also Warner. So I'm guessing they wouldn't necessarily mean like uh, it wouldn't be that hard for them. I don't I don't think that's it. I just think well, that yeah. I was just saying in terms of oh, every time really you have every time you have a song with a different artist, like yes. different singer on it, different royalty participants. And in order sometimes to renegotiate the terms, it becomes a nightmare if one of them wants for example, a different royalty rate. And mm. it could make the, the situation a little uncomfortable for the others. And then there's always the uh, the issue with greatest hits, especially when they span different labels. Yeah. Or it's hard. You have to let whoever's doing it, what, let's say for Black Sabbath, they have to in all the tracks from the other label. And that also is not always very easy. Yeah, maybe guess, your wish will come true one day. Maybe, <laughs> I, but it's it's it seems that on black a uh, black side we'll, we'll finish uh, talking about black side. But uh, I think that black Sabbath, it's for the people managing the image of black Sabbath, It's a hundred percent only Ozzy Osbourne, and I and I don't like that. Even to the point that because thirteen came out the last Black Sabbath record mm -hmm. and the original drummer for Black Sabbath was not a part of it. If you go to Instagram, 90% of the photos they put out, it's without him. And that's saying something like they really don't like it. They actually just announced yesterday or two days ago, uh, the, the live record, Light Evil, where, uh, which uh, Ronnie James Dio split with the band because they were like having issues with... Um, the vocal or something arrangement for the live record. But I, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's because of that. If they're Black Sabbath, they, they could manage. And again, most of it is on Warner. Something is on Rhino. Something is on Vertigo. It's Vertigo. I don't know who owns Vertigo anymore, but it probably is Warner, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, the, Black, the Black Sabbath catalog is split at the moment. You, um, yeah. I believe U.S. rights are with Warner. And XUS, rest of the world, I believe, are with Sanctuary. Um, mm -hmm. And Sanctuary now is owned by BMG. So that's why I know that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but I'm hoping for a real one. Because so far, and they have a lot of them. All the best stuff is the same. Same songs. 20 songs. Yes. Right, 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 right. So, Jason, uh, before we get to you real quick, I know I cut you off again. I know John had a good question. It looked like you're already answering but. John Bandy was asking, what about an ACDC comp of Ryan Johnson and Bon Scott? But is there one out there? or yeah, is there, there is. There's yeah, not there is. I, didn't, I, I didn't think so. He he knows the answer. It's the it's the uh, Iron Man soundtrack for the, the second movie. That's a compilation. It came out on vinyl, and it's Bon Scott and Brian Johnson era stuff. They only have – they don't have a best stuff, but the closest thing to it is that one. And who made who, which was for a soundtrack for uh, the movie. What is it? Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive, the Stephen King movie. Yeah, yeah. Stephen King movie. But yeah, the, uh, if you're really into it, and to be honest, I had it for the long, longest time, but I sold it. It was the soundtrack for because uh, it's only ACDC songs for Iron Man two, which I've never seen. I've never seen Iron Man two. 
but I own the soundtrack. You're not missing much. It's it was I think it was written during the writer strike, so some would say. Oh, really? Yeah, so some would say the writing wasn't quality. All right, Jason, we've put you off long enough. So no suspense. The buildup is intense. <laughs> how, do you, how do you answer this question? Putting you on the spot. So what band was is overdue for a comp and greatest hits? All right. It is a band from 1982, Everything But The Girl. Now, this is their last release from 1999 um, called Temperamental, where they went into more of a, I guess, electronica, trip-hop kind of thing. They're coming back with a new album. I think it comes out in two weeks, I think. Um, but they've had no greatest hits, right? This one's from 99. They formed in 82. You see where this is going? This is like no, you know... And the, the group is two people. Um, they're a couple, I believe. So, you know, uh, it's kind of strange, right? I think they stopped the band in 99 because they they hit the big time and there was nowhere else to go, right? That's right, Jason. Jason says, everything but the girl, Mr. Hall of Fame, that's Brandon, loves that. Yeah, he, he really enjoys that band. I do know that. This is actually, I think you can get the reissue of this. Um, it's, a, it's affordable, but... Uh, I hope they're affordable. Jeez. <laughs> but it's like the evolution of like doing like, cause they were like a very jazz pop folk. And then they moved to more of like an eighties commercialized sound. And then they kind of went to an acoustic sound. And then I think that song called missing, which was super popular. That's like a remix that a DJ did. And then it just like put them on the map again, you know? So, Nice. All right, Arnaldo, back around the horn. Well, who's your nominee I, for this extremely important question? They only have one serious greatest hits out. Actually, two. The latest, the last one came out in '99, I believe. And since then, because that was the end of their era on EMI Parlophone. Since then, they've released six albums, um, and I'm talking about Duran Duran. Ah. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. So you're um, not going to count decade? You're not, not going to count that? I'm sorry? You're not going to count decade? Do you have well, that Well, decade came before greatest. Uh, ah. Decade came exactly 10 years after, so it would, I would have to say 1990 was decade or 91. Mm-hmm. And then in 99, at the end of the, their contract with um, ah. EMI, EMI put out greatest. Um, and since then, I think that came out in 99. And since then... There has not been another compilation of Duran Duran. That's true because they. Oh, I see now. Here, here, Jason, you may know this one. John's <laughs> got a good question. Anyone know where everything but the girl got their band name from? Put you on the spot. Uh, oh my gosh! I'm trying to think about this, you'll give me two minutes. Let me think about it. <laughs> two minutes. I, it, Google I, machine. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it has to do with something like without looking at it. I thought it has something to do with a movie, and I think it's that, or it's like a joke to no. Oh, I, I believe it was a store. That's right. That was called Everything But the Girl, yes. and I'm not sure if it was a pet store. Maybe John Bandy can correct me, but I know it was the name of a store. You're right. That's right. Man. Yeah, but they, they've, they've released everything from them. They're reissuing them. Even Half Speed or something they, they were doing like two years ago from everything but the girls. So I'm guessing it's not that difficult to get right now. 
So John coming in clutch. He says from a store that sold furniture to bachelors. So look at that. Oh, all right. To bachelor. So oh, so, this, so, John, so different, John. This is music talk with John. This is a real good question. This is kind of what we, we kind of kicked off with where you're talking about Arnaldo. Some bands, like some some folks only get the greatest hits, right? Like, I mean, maybe they're not super duper fans, but John says some bands are greatest hits only for me. Queen, that's a, that's a bold take, John. Foo Fighters, Beach Boys, Elvis, Chicago, and the Monkeys. But there's a lot of people like your general... And I, I'm not putting you in a box, John, when I say this, but there are folks who are just, you know, like, like listen to it in the car, they'll go to the show, but they're not the deep cut type of crew. Now, I would highly suggest you revisit the Foo Fighters catalog because, uh, you know, that's probably the last great American rock band going on that will sell out stadiums. But I, I want to say, John, like you're putting like, I don't know, what, 40, 50, you know, albums of Chicago down to three good <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true like how big would that would yeah, that be an yeah. 8cd <laughs> you know, I, I will say that lately and when i say lately it's probably the, the last four years i've enjoyed listening to oddball beach boy records because there are some crazy ones out there crazy ones like uh beach boys uh we love you that's the name of the record we love you beach boys love you we, beach boys love you it's so crazy. Like that record sounds like a kid that plays Minecraft recorded it. That's exactly how, how it, it sounds. And it's pretty good. But I'm always, I'm not a big Beach Boys fan, especially the first records. I'm I'm not into the surfy, let's go party vibe. Uh, my, my, my boot coop or whatever it was. Zook, I don't even know. I don't, I'm not going to embarrass myself. That's way before my time. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll end this one. Um, so the band I saw last night is Dawes. Are any of you guys familiar with Dawes? No, no. By name, I know them by name. Perfect. So easiest way to describe their music before I show a record here is think about like a think of a band of the current age doing like the Laurel Canyon sound type stuff, right? Because that's kind of like their deep inspiration. The the, the Goldsmith Brothers. So Taylor's on vocals, married to Mandy Moore. So he's he's definitely done well for himself. <laughs> and his brother Griffin is on drums. And so that's kind of been the spirit of their music. And they've put out, I think they're up to six or seven albums, their first album. Is it a is it a contemporary band? It is a contemporary band, yeah. But but their sound is very vintage. In fact, I think they recorded this first album, which I'm about to show here. So this is their debut album. This is the vinyl me, please. I'll even make myself big. Watch this. I'm really learning how to get the hang of this. So this is their <laughs> debut album. Look oh, at I know it. that band. I know yeah. that. Yeah, so this is called North Hills, and this was, I think, the 10th anniversary edition. I have the original, but I just wanted to flex on this one. Um, but it was recorded all analog. Like They really wanted to make sure that their sound was very authentic to kind of what they were doing from a, from a recording is that, perspective. Is that the band that has the song that um, May All Your Favorite Bands stay Yeah, there? All Your Favorite Bands, I believe, was their fourth or fifth album. And that's usually what they close with. I love, I love that song. I love that song. I love that. They all your favorite bands stay together. It's a great, it's a great, and they, they, I think, like I said, it was their fourth or fifth album, and they close every concert with it now. And it's, it's just, it's a great, it's a great just like great song. Then, yeah. Yeah. It's really, and he's a really good songwriter. He's a very small guy. I'm not ripping, I really enjoy him, but he's like, a, he's, he's like five foot five. So he's, he's very impressive when you see him perform because he's, he's a very good guitar player. He's an excellent songwriter, and his lyrics are very, um, I don't know, he's just like he uses a very good vocabulary. I'm always impressed when people, you know, kind of explore different ways of, of storytelling, particularly through words. 
And, you know, you get a lot of songwriters who use a lot of redundancies and a lot of analogies and stuff like that. But, um, but their latest album, Jose, I'll just show it since I have it here. Okay. Is so this is this is the one that they just came out with. I'll make my look, I'm gonna make myself big again. Guys, I'm really getting the hang of this. So this is called Misadventures of Doom Scroller. And I gotta be honest, it's it's not my favorite album of theirs, but it's not bad. So it, you know, they're like five or six albums in, and kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of this is you know, I'm at this concert and I'm listening to them, and it's like to me, it's not a commercial band, right? Like you don't really hear them on the radio. Maybe they have some songs and movies here or there, but I really, this is for me as I'm kind of thinking this and I'm sipping my suds at the show. This is a band I would think would really benefit from having a greatest hits to then reach out to kind of, I believe Rachel calls it extra velocity, right? Like to reach out to the masses to really achieve commercial like acclaim or maybe that's not even their goal, but you know, I just think that, from a musicianship standpoint, from a presentation standpoint, because I've seen them since I've seen them live since 2011, and I've noticed they just keep getting better and better, you know, tighter. You know, the, the presentation is better, the musicianship is better, the songwriting, everything keeps getting better. Like I said, this last album didn't really grab me, but I really enjoy them nonetheless. I highly recommend it. And matter of fact, when we end the podcast, I may play you something from them because they uh, licensing, right? I can't play it right now. But, uh, <laughs> But they have a new song called What It Takes. It's not even, you know, they're testing it, right? It's like road testing. It'll probably be on their next album. But they have a key, keyboard player named Lee Pardini who kind of did like a little solo four-song EP, and it was like a lot of synth-based stuff. And he brought this song to him, and Taylor wrote lyrics over it, and it's, it's a jammer. It's like, it reminds me, I, you know, I'll play it after we end this podcast, but it's like a very 80s kind of throwback, and I really dig that kind of stuff, again, growing up in the 80s. And, all that sort of thing. So, all right, next next round of intense questioning. So this one is in honor of Jason Rojas making the pilgrimage. He's going to get on one of those tin birds and fly across. I guess that's the Atlantic, right? Across the Atlantic. And you're going to Denbosch, which is billed as the largest record show in the world. And so that got me thinking, one – you got to be getting excited. Like it's coming yeah, when you, when you leave and, and surely you're getting excited for this. I leave uh, for uh, Amsterdam on the 20th. So Amsterdam is the Northern city above Den Bosch. Um, I'll be there from Thursday to Sunday. Um, am I excited about it? Sure. I am. I I, I promised myself that I'm only buying 30 records only. Oh, 30. come on. You've already <laughs> failed. You can't yourself. Come on. But I bought, uh, you know, selector bags, right? Not Skeletor bags. <laughs> that could only fit 30 records. Uh, and then it, uh, it was kind of funny. I was talking to a friend of mine and I realized I hadn't tested the selector bag first you can you can definitely ship yourself some records from there yes but that's asking for trouble like i have a friend jose who lives in amsterdam and uh you know she i can say this she actually asked me like uh can you uh, bring a uh, the special lipstick for me in amsterdam so if i buy her the lipstick right then she has to return the favor of shipping records from right the Netherlands back to me, so you see. Yeah, but it's 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 a good um, thing. Oh, by the way, just doing for me, Elliot Cruz has has um that record that he's talking about. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, it's called Lo the Lost Base. I was just commenting to him. So basement uh, tapes. Yeah, the Lost Basement tapes. So Elliot was kind of piggybacking on my Dawes commentary, and yeah. and and Taylor Goldsmith. He's worked on a lot of these different kind of projects. Like he had, um, there's another. He's been on like he was one and called uh, like Brotherhood. He's been in a couple different little side projects. Again, yeah. kind of enhancing and stuff. But the Lost Basement tapes is kind of, I wouldn't say famous, but the story behind it was there were some unfinished songs that Dylan had when he yeah. was working with the band at that period. And so uh, it was Taylor Goldsmith, Marcus Mumford was involved. Elvis uh, Costello? Yeah, Elvis Costello. Um, Johnny Depp came in because there's a documentary about it, which is really interesting because it's interesting to see their process because you can see them kind of collaborating and you can see, and again, I know that's probably not indicative of their songwriting style, but you can see some just really just like really shooting out a bunch of ideas. And then Marcus Mumford, who Mumford and Sons was like huge yeah. at the time, was like struggling. Like he was having a writer's block. He was like almost going to have a panic attack because he was like stone cold, could not concentrate. And then he kind of went off and he, he, and again, the camera kind of probably plays this up a little bit more than, than it was, but yeah. he goes off by himself and then he finds a creative spirit and he writes a song, Kansas city, which is arguably my favorite song on that compilation. Cause it's, it's fantastic. But yeah. James James is also there from a more yeah, Jim James. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, which has also done a lot of Dylan stuff besides that. I don't know if you know, uh, talk about compilations and uh, things. Have you, have you seen this? I've, I've seen the movie. That's the one where the different actors, it's I'm not yeah. there, right? That's the one yeah. where different actors play Dylan in different points in his yeah. career. It's yeah. a Todd Hayes movie called I'm Not There, but this is amazing. I mean, if you're going to talk copulation, I think one of my favorite ones, to be honest, it's when they do a copulation, but it's like other people doing it. I, I enjoy that. I don't have it here at hand. I, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's like this. This is called Come Up to the House. It's women sing Tom Waits. I don't know if you know this, mm -mm. but it's a pretty good compilation. It's a, it's only Tom Waits uh, songs, but are singing by women. So it's like Joseph, the the female group, Amy Mann, Phoebe Bridgers, Roseanne Cash, uh, Iris Dement, The Wild Reeds. Uh, it, but it's pretty beautiful. And the Phoebe Bridgers uh, song, Hate. Lover or hater, uh, that's pretty good uh, thing. But yeah, but the, I'm not there one. I would suggest it because it's all over the place. The, the Black Keys are here. And Soup Jen Steven. Mm. Everybody from uh, uh, Sonic Youth is here. Yo La Tengo, Cat Power, John Doe from X. Uh, a, a bunch of people. Uh, and, and I really love it. And then the Bob Dylan song at the end. It's from the Basement Tapes as well. Oh, the last song, I'm not there. That's the, the connection, I guess. So back to then. So back to Denbosch and the record shows. So Jason, before we move around the horn here, so you're going to quote unquote try to stick to thirty records, but I'm going to place a gentleman's wager and say that you're going to exceed that amount. I'm just, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing, but at least going in with the. So that that kind of leads me to my next question: Is do you and, and maybe it's going to be different for Denbosch, but generally speaking, do you go into a record show with a game plan? Or do you just, you know, it, like me, is it, I know it when I see it kind of thing. So it gives you flexibility to not be beholden to an amount of records or you're looking for only three grails or whatever. How, how do you approach record shows in general? And will your approach be any different than Nedbosh? Let me back, kind of have a backstory. So I've been to like record shows since I was, oh boy, I don't know, 15, 16. Um, uh, 
Did we leave, lose Jose? Uh-oh, Jose hated the question. He's out of here. <laughs> He's had enough of this. He's going to go listen to that uh, Dylan compilation. Uh, I mean, when I was, like, younger, I couldn't, like, afford, like, any of these, like, big records, you know? And, like, you know, I vowed one day, right, like, I will get a bigger job. I will get as many records as I want. No one will tell me to say no, you know? Like, no one will. Um, because I think I've told that story, like, uh, when I was, I think, 16, 17, whatever. Like, I held the Led Zeppelin one, right, with the turquoise and the guy at that time was asking i think like 250 for it which that's a i mean but you have to think that was like 1997 you know so that you know again that's that was a lot of money back then you know and i held it and then had to put it back and cried in my sleep of course you know um, <laughs> but um at that time i could only afford so many but like as times changed as my job and my income grew right um, there wasn't too many limitations, but it wasn't going there to buy like hot records. It was trying to get deals, you know, mm. and try to get these rare records somewhere below, you know, 20. And then, you know, as my income grew, maybe below 40, see where I'm going below 60. Of course. And, th and the thing was, it's like, I think about records differently, you know, like if you can get it at a single digit, like that's a really great deal. And you like the record, then go for it, two digits, you know, okay, you know, three digits, like that's probably a good steak dinner and a salad and a meal and a couple beers, but now you're buying one record with that. Hey, go to Applebee's, you get that two for 20, you can really stretch your dollar, I'm just saying. But I mean, you see what I'm saying, like the more you spend, like then you're taken away from, you know. Um, My internet went off. Oh, you're okay, Jose. Uh, John said you were stuck in a smile, so I think that was a yeah. <laughs> It could have been worse. You could, you could have had the frozen face and then been stuck there for a while. So like, <laughs> I like the, the thing is, like, try. I mean, don't buy everything you see, right? That's that's not you know. If if it's sometimes like even a good deal, it's hard to pass up, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. So Scott, record shows is that something? Because you're in Florida, right? Right. So what is there any? I, I've I've heard bits and pieces, but there's not a at least to my knowledge, a regional or like a bigger show around there? What's been your experience? There's really nothing that I'm aware of here in this area, in Southern Florida anyway. Yeah. So, so I haven't wild. been to one in years. Oh, man. Because I've, I've been down here for like 20 years. Well, Scott, I think it's about but, time you lead the charge and start the <laughs> tri-state, bi-state, single state. Because I, I know there's one in Orlando, which I've, I kind of keep yeah. an eye on. You go to the Austin show one. That's pretty coming soon as well. Jose, that's a great plug. There is there is a gathering being organized of several folks in the community. We're going to go to the fall Austin record convention. And Scott, yeah, I, I want to go. I want to go. You should go. Oh yeah. well, yeah. I mean, if there's one in Orlando, I'll go. Well, this is in Austin, Texas, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> Jose. That, Jose, I've work? seen that face before. That's a no. That's a polite no. Yeah, that's right. no. Oh, oh. I just can't. I don't have time. No, I'm I don't have me. time. So, so um, when you hear, so Scott, when you hear us talk about, since there's not really record shows in your area, do you, do you feel a little missing out? Because I'm sure, like you can. Have you ever been to one at all? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When and I lived in New York, I used to go all the time. When there to you go. the ones in New York, but. Um, no, actually, I don't. I really don't. I did. Um, I'm so picky about condition that I just can't fathom spending a lot of money on a record of unknown that I can't hear first. Interesting. That's an interesting. Take. It. I don't know. It's 
it's me. But um, I prefer these days sticking with well done reissues. Honestly, yeah. I know it's fun. It's fun, and uh, I probably would approach it the same way Jason is going to. I would bring like a certain kind of size of uh, container and stick to that. Talking talking about compilations and reissues, this is a pretty good one. This is oh, Bill Weathers, that is a good one. Yeah, the greatest hits. So yeah, I've heard I it's very good. No, so, it is pretty good. So I have it, but does that incorporate his Columbia output too? Because I know he did a lot of it. I hate to say this. A lot of his best work was on Sussex, right? But then when he moved to Columbia, like in the 80s, like decent music, but it wasn't the same. But I'm assuming kind of what we were talking about before, there's probably a cross-pollination in terms of both of those labels, I would think, represented. To be honest, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be 100% honest, that's why I have this greatest hits because I don't know anything else. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think that's a good case for a greatest hits album. It is right because I'm yeah. interested in the artist. I right. actually every time that I've heard, uh, I've listened to a song by his, I've liked it so far, but I haven't gone out of my way to grab another one because right you know, I, where I live, he's not that popular. So uh, maybe it's that's because of that. you know I live in Mexico, so it's 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 a, a little bit going to be a little bit tougher to get you know soul uh, music or Sure. So maybe that, but uh, I enjoy yeah. it a lot. I yeah, you get a well, well-regarded reissue. You know, it's. Yeah. I think it's great. There That's was a great. point I was going to make earlier about, you know, in the '60s with artists that were singles artists, you know, that they put together albums, but the rest of it was kind of like just filler. In that case, mm -hmm. I think greatest hits albums are very, you know. Is, is the way to go, you know, with these singles artists if you want to get all their stuff. Because, you know, a lot of times you don't want to listen to well, an album well, that was just hastily, hastily assembled with some other filler just for the to get the hits out there on an LP. Well, most records in the late 50s, early 60s were compilations from all singles. Because most yeah. artists, like Sinatra, was all like singles. And all the 10 inches on the 12 uh, inch uh, records that we're putting out were basically just compilations for like right, singles. Right, right. So you can't yeah. make the point that they were all really just best of. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so then back... Sinatra, oh, go ahead, Scott. Then, then Sinatra kind of pioneered the concept album and well, put out did. all those, uh, those uh, suicide albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the wee small that, hours. Of yeah, yeah. And that kind of transformed the album as an art form, you know. And that's kind of yeah, what I was yeah. alluding to earlier. So, Scott, to speak, speak, speaking back to the record show topic, it looks like we've already yeah. got some people open invitations from some really good people. So, Marsha, love her channel. Marsha P says, "Come to Orlando, guys. We can make a day of it." So, if, even if you don't okay. want to buy records, Scott, we got open invitations. I think uh, Music Talk with John. There's a record show in Tampa. So see, raising okay. the information level here. So. Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> no, I I would love to go to one down here. That would be great. All right, uh, Arnaldo, let's go to you, and then we'll go to Jose on this one. So, record showed. Is it a preparation exercise, or you just kind of go in with a general idea? But do you know it when you see it? How, what's your approach generally when it comes to record shows? Kind of, I know it when I see it. Uh, I will, depending on the time and 
what I'm into, I will look for specific things. Um, so go directly uh, to like, for example, there's this record show that I've already been to twice. It happens, I think, once a month in, in Long Island. They have a list of the vendors that are upcoming. And I was actually looking through the list to see if specific vendors were going to be there, which I had seen the first time, which had really good stuff. So that's one one type of preparation that I do. Uh, if I'm going to um, a record show that has that I've been to before, but it's just repeating. <clears throat> and I had actually a question for I had a question for Jason. So you said you're going to keep it at thirty, and you're going to be there three days, right? Impossible! Oh, Impossible! Buy all thirty records in the first day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. So. I'll say one thing, like uh, I spoke to Jose a couple of days ago and he had a great recommendation, which was to bring records for trade, right? So I will bring 10 records there that are hot, like that are fire, like records, you know? That was going to be my, my topic right now, but yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jose is like very smart, like he suggested this and then I was like thinking, oh, I will bring, you know, I got 10 good ones that are, you know, dupes and, you know, ready to be like, no one's going to have it. They would. And we talked about it. It has to be, you know, American records. Once yeah, I know that. I know. It is. So Pat, yeah, Patrick, to that point. Do you yeah. think they would, you know, 100% to trade? A hundred percent. I've done it so many times. I, if, last time that I was in Barcelona, the, there's a big and beautiful, and I recommend it to everybody, twice a year, the Barcelona uh, record fair. And uh, they a lot of people from all over the world come there and then they they sell their stuff and what i always done all my life when i travel to another city it's i get records that i know people would want over there from around the world and uh i go to record stores and if there's a record fair and just trade records or sell some records out of that it's not a necessary necessity thing it's more because you know there's stuff that i have here that people won't really care for where I'm at, and over there they are. So yeah, my, my suggestion to Jason was grab 10, 15 records, U.S. pressings, right, that people would really want over there. And they could be very very common stuff, but that they could be like a Howling Wolf record that I uh, I, I said to Jason, like blues are, it's very, very <laughs> over there. If you have a... If you the, the biggest smoking gong is if you have like a early reissue or a first pressing of Velvet Underground, they love that. If you have that, you're good to go. <laughs> so st stuff like that. Uh-oh. Jason, Jason went to get a grail. Oh, here it comes. Uh -oh. <laughs> That's a good segue. So, Jose, generally speaking, same kind of question. Yeah. Do you go in – when you go to a record fair, it sounds like you come in with some degrees of strategy if you're bringing things to trade or barter or kind of leverage and other deals. What other, yeah. what other what other kind of approach do you bring going in? Do you do you have a game plan outside of what you're just talking about? To be honest, I have a very small idea of records that I'm that I want to get, and it's mostly based on where I am. For example, if I'm in Austin, my like my 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 dreams are going wild, thinking I'm gonna get like a Rocky Erickson signed 13th floor elevator. But of course, I'm not gonna get it. But that's all in my, the back of my head. Sure, sure. So I do have a small list of things that I want. Yeah, that's the yeah. You see, you see, you talk Jason, and then he pulls out some Howling Wolf 
<laughs> you see what's going on? I'm talking about. Jason, Jason, side note: We'll get back, Jose, in one second. Side note: Jason, I just had a brilliant channel idea. You should do records on demand because honestly, I have a feeling at this point there's, there's probably few records, and you, we should give prizes if, if someone can stump you and call out a record that you don't have, and then we right. send them like a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or something. So I'm sorry, Jose. Please continue. No, 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 no. My, 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 I, my. My suggestion would be like to always know where you're going. For example, if you go to Austin, you're probably gonna get a lot of like psych, garage, music like that. It's uh it's but there's universal things that everybody wants, right? Of course, like Jason has the Led Zeppelin uh, uh the, the turquoise led zeppelin. Jason, you might as well get tattooed on your face at this point. What I suggested to Jason was that if you have records that you know are valuable but you don't necessarily listen to my suggestion would be use it to your advantage and maybe interchange it for something else get a little money from like a vendor be like hey man you know what i'm here i'm not a vendor but if you want you can have this record for uh, maybe a lot less than discogs and you have to resell it Maybe do a little Pawn Stars moves here. I take all the risk <laughs> kind of thing. But once you have that, oh they, they pretty much are going to, especially if you have niche records. If you have like uh, DNA's first record or, uh, I don't know, uh, the Ramones 90s records, stuff like that that people are like, that are really into, are really going to pay money for that. Especially Psych in Garage. So my approach is more, more than likely just trying to have an open mind. I really don't have like a big expectations all the time. I prefer to be open-minded. Be flexible, right? Yes. If you'd really want it to find something, maybe do some research like these things that I'm in Europe. So maybe just what are the most difficult to find pressings of you like European uh, press records, something like that. And, and, and little by little, those, those uh, covers are going to be stuck in your head. And when you see it, you'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I found this dire straits record. That's definitely not valuable. But if you, if you want that, you, you'll be able to differentiate, you know, from the other things. So, yeah, and I, I would say to add on that, Jose, I think that's been one of the things I've been since I've been watching people make YouTube videos about records is that I would just watch them for the flips a lot of times yeah. because just to your point, when you see that visual cue and then if they talk about it, then you, you learn. So then you know when you're out about what that represents. And it, even if you don't remember exactly, at least remember the image yeah. and you'd be like, OK, there's something about this record I need to maybe I need to pull it, look it up, check out the dead wax, all that stuff. And and also, uh, if anybody is, is like trying uh, traveling overseas, I would also uh, do a little search on records that you may like, but are the pressings over there in Europe are not as uh, expensive. For example, I was talking with Jason about uh, Tom Waits' uh, Rain Dogs, and I have that record and I love that record, but it's like. Uh, I, I, I never wanted to pay $150, $200 for a mint condition copy for that. So what I did was when I was over there, 
I, I look for a copy and I have it here in my hand. This is Rain Dog, and this is the uh, European version. This is from Spain, and it sounds pretty amazing. It's it, and it's very clean, and it's on the same label. Uh, so you're not actually missing anything, and your wallet's gonna maybe think thanks for it because I paid 20 euros for this pressing, and on Discogs I think the same pressing it's like 50 or 60 euros, the cheapest one right now. So my suggestion is like if you really like a record, even if the band is from over here from the U.S. or Canada, you might get good deals. Uh, You know, because there's a lot of like uh, Spain has too many records that they press from other bands. For example, this is like uh, Cowboy Junkies, and they 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 pressed it in Spain. So it's like if you wanted this record, but you you can't find like a Canadian one, maybe European pressings that will sound good. It's your maybe your next uh, best thing, I guess. Now, from a, from a value perspective, I I ran into this in Austin last year. Is An album that I've been looking for is the first U.S. press of Megadeth, Rust in Peace. It's like a $300 record, right? But the the record guys smiled on me, and I was rounding a corner, and the vendor was putting out records, to your point, Jose, of European presses from the same time that were a fraction of the price. So I, I, I gobbled them up like Pac-Man. I took Rust in Peace. I took Van Halen for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. All these things that the domestic version, the U.S. version, is like silly money, monopoly money. But to your point, one... Am I going to find them at a reasonable price? And two, do I want to buck up that level? No, I'll take a nice close facsimile because the European pressings generally sound about the same. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, they, they sound all the same. Were they expensive? Did you cry when you got them? Just have to. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did cry when I got this uh, Tom Waits record because the the vendor had like the worst booth on all the place, and he only had that record. So maybe that's why he had a twenty. My Another suggestion that I always do is the boots that always look like they're the, the crappiest ones out there are probably going to be the, the better ones for you to look into. Because probably the seller define, crap, define crappy, though, Jose. Are you talking about they look like they, they bring the beat-up corgate boxes? Yes, the beat-up corners. But they look like Taylor grifters. Black. Like help help me understand what the crappy vendor because because some of them I've been to some of these shows. I mean, body odor is a choice, and they make the wrong choice in a lot of these situations. So oh. they have a crappy vendor. Like uh, I'll get if anybody's selling more than one Charles Navour record, or or uh, like they have like 25 Frank Sinatra records, or Perry Cuomo, they probably they probably have something there again because. All the people that have the, the gems, they have like the first pressing of Velvet Undergrounds, and they have all the, the US, European Aussie Osborns when they came out. Yeah, they have the U, UB40s for $100. You're looking for a UB40 under $50, bucks, I know yeah. again. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for that and you see the guy's wall, you know, all the prices have been discog uh, look, you know? Of course, so, of course. So my suggesting is that if there's a guy that has like a very small booth and he doesn't have even a wall in the back just for like uh, holy grail pressings that he's going, he probably has something there that he's not aware and you, you can snag up for a better price just because of that. 
So my suggestion is don't overlook just because you think he's not going to have anything, even a That's soundtrack. Yeah, but I think yeah. I think to, to to expand on that, Jose. I think I think if it's like anything else. If you put in the work, yeah. you know what I mean. Like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, especially in that scenario, right? Because I have found some sneaky good stuff in yeah. vendors. You know, after you make the rounds about three or four times, and you're just kind of like, okay, should I or shouldn't? Like we have a guy at my local show named Frank, and Frank is a, a two dollar disc guy, and he, he eighty to ninety percent of what Frank brings in on his wheelies and it's the same stuff, but I will always look at it because every once in a while, like the last time I did, I pulled a Buckingham Knicks uh, oh, yeah? Ludwig pressing, right? And, oh, and I got it for a song, you know what I mean? So it just goes to show, to your point, don't judge a book by its cover, but you, you get in what you put in and, you know, get, make I'll those people work for it. I'll give you a quick example, all right? So I was in McAllen for the weekend in Texas, and you know how we all hate go into like uh, like Goodwill and stuff like that, right? So I went to Goodwill and I got a bunch of records for $1.99 thinking that they don't exist anymore. Oh, look, it's uh, everybody here talks about a record and they, they show it, right? Oh, hang on, Scott. Flex. <laughs> we call this, we call this a Rojas. Do it real quick. Give us give us your best Rojas. Yeah, doing a... I just want to see if this is a Ludwig pressing. I never checked. I think it was it, the Ludwig was like a second, like a like a second pressing, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't an original, but I don't have it in front of me, so I can't say that for certain. I gotta look at under the light. Hold on. All right. If, if your seller has a lot of MoFi records or analog production records, the records are gonna be overpriced. That's a run, run. That's, that's my <laughs> run. I got that sealed dead stock. Run. That's my take. Look, I just want to show. Like, uh, I I got this. So I saw this Kiss record. Right, but for one ninety nine, how are you gonna say no? Look, there's the the price tag. Goodwill is it a blue label, Jose? No, it's no. This is the the Casablanca normal one. It's not but the blue Casablanca. No, it's just just the regular like white one. Yeah, with the cameras. I got this uh, real Yankovic for a dollar. What's the verdict, Scott? It says Sterling PRC. Uh, so it's not. No, yeah, it's, it's not. Maybe, it's maybe Patrick, the vinyl archivist, can tell us. And look, I got I got this for a dollar ninety nine. So now, Jose, I, I, I think that's your score of the, the the Goodwill lot there because that's a consistently forty, fifty, sixty dollar record. Yeah, I actually got all this stuff. I got this for a friend, the the Queen, the game. So you know, wow. And total, which I I I don't plan to listen to this record at all, but I have it now, I guess. <laughs> Elliot raises a good point here because he says local sellers just there for that one stop on a circuit are the best sellers selling from their collection or for a friend. There are certain uh, sellers I've noticed in my area. There's a guy called Motor Soul who he makes. He, I think he's in Tennessee, but he comes up here to St. Louis. I've seen him featured on Bob Bradley's uh, video several times. And but he makes that circuit. He makes that try or was a how would you call a four state it, quads? I guess it'd be quad state uh, circuit. So. But those are usually pretty good vendors, except when they're coming with the sealed dead stock that's analog productions. Oh fuck! Yeah, because I'm and I'm not. I'm not. I, I buy from them, right? Of course, I have them. But I'm just saying that the, those sellers are always very aware of what they have, for sure. And and they prefer to oversell a record for ten bucks than to have it for ten dollars less than Discogs because you know people are gonna buy it. 
you know so i don't understand why would you have discount prices at the place because it doesn't make sense people want to buy things that they couldn't buy elsewhere For so sure. another good point about going to record fairs it's like absolutely never buy stuff that you could either get on amazon or that you can easily get yourself on discogs and to be honest i really 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 don't like um when people sell those like on like uh that everything is on print Right. Get anywhere you else. Can get readily available. Sure. Well, right now, the laziest sellers are selling the Target and Walmart records, <laughs> and yeah. it just blows my mind. Like people yeah. are selling it for the a little bit full retail. More. Yeah, full retail. Full retail yeah. for a little more because they have the color that came out like a year ago instead of right now. Yeah. Good. And it's just very sad to me. Well, yeah. fellas, let's let's put a bow on this topic, and I think we all collectively wish Jason great vinyl luck yeah. in his adventure. We're going to send you good juju, good vinyl juju. Uh, I guarantee we'll have a gentleman's wager if you come back with more than thirty records. I think that you're gonna you're you're, you're gonna be like the Mario movie. You're just gonna fall into that lava pit <laughs> trying to go after Super uh, <laughs> Troopers. Anyway, so let's go ahead and wrap this part up for the podcast, fellas, and then we'll go with some freestyling afterwards. But again. Thank all my guests. This is Concert Buddy wrapping it up with Arnaldo, Fidelius underscore Frequency, Jason Rojas, who probably won't be with us for the next one because you will be doing the record fair thing, Jose Moreno, Ron, Miguel, Iglesias, man of many names, and then Scott Wilson, thanks for coming on this time. Scott, I hope we can make this a regular part of the – we'll make this part of your live stream circuit. You'll join us on (laughs) Thursday. Okay. And thanks for listening to another version edition sode of Vinyl Community Podcast. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.